Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Truth and movies. Today, The Snowman. No, not that one. Michael Fassbender tackling a cold case in Thomas Alfredson's slice of Nordic Noir. Will we give it a frosty reception? Then, Noah Baumbach returns with The Merit Stories. Brackets, new and selected. Parents parking and parenthesis, and how difficult it is to get them right. There's more Baumbach too in the film club. Noah and the squid and the whale. Why, Ambassador, with these navel-gazing New York nods to resolving your father issues via the medium of film, you're spoiling us. All of that, plus more Blade Runner 2049. It's Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. And on board your very own Truth and Movies today, we have Manuela Lazic. Hello. Hi, Manuela. And also David Jenkins, who's got a cold again. Sorry. That's all right. I'm sorry for you, David. I'll try and uh, keep up. If I hope I'm a bit, if I'm a bit slow today, then I apologise. Right. I think it's important to mention that David brought his box of Kleenex. Yeah. From his office. Right. Carrying I, it on I, the streets. I, I've, and I've had it all morning with yeah. me, like a kind of little chihuahua. Exactly. Tissue to Chihuahua. I hope the many cinematic splendours at the London Film Festival currently ongoing have been some sucker to you this week. Oh, they certainly have. Especially the one at the film I saw this morning. What was that? Which is called Zama oh, by yeah. Lucretia Martel, which is a film that I've wanted to see for ages and ages and ages. I think it's coming out in the new year. It's a really weird uh, Argentinian experimental movie, I guess you'd it's call quite it. Experimental, mm. yeah. But, but well, well, Manuela, you were flagging this up last time you were in as, as one of the ones to watch. I think. Oh, was I? Oh yeah. Were you not? I don't remember, but I definitely told uh, Jenks when I when I saw it in Toronto. I messaged him. I was like, "You will like Zama," mm. and he said. FML. So, yeah, I was right. You were right. How's your week been, Manuela? It's been all right, except for, obviously, the Harvey Weinstein situation. Mm. So, obviously, you know, this is not a, a podcast where we have the space and the knowledge to talk in depth about this. But I think it's important to mention that, you know, as film lovers, we are obviously really angry and devastated. And at the same time, myself, I'm I'm quite somehow optimistic that you know we are now in a climate when women feel able to come forward so yeah that's all we can really say here but yeah this mm. is something we have to acknowledge it's a negative story but in the fact that it's actually come out is deeply positive yeah, yeah. I, I, i'm just i just think we have to see what happens next if, absolutely i remember i saw someone saying that it feels like a kind of tip of the iceberg thing that there's maybe yeah know, there's totally. you know the, how it mm. might be a kind of bigger things to come yeah. but um, we can't be naive about it but yeah 
But it's yeah. a step in the right direction. Mm. But it feels like one of the biggest sort of film industry scandals. Yeah, like, that I've known. for a long time. I yeah. mean, yeah, it, it, feel, it feels big. But yeah, yeah, as you say, like too big, maybe <laughs> too big for this tiny podcast. For a little old truth and movies if you'd like to be involved in enlarging truth and movies with your comments do send them in you can email them the address is truthandmovies at tcolondon.com you can find us on facebook and twitter at lw lies and of course there is now the splendid new uh, message board on the littlewhitelies.com website chris gape says I really wanted to add to the Darren Aronofsky discussion a while ago. I hoped you were going to talk about his film Pi, uh, my favourite of his. Uh, I've always thought of Aronofsky, I'm subbing this down a bit, as a concept filmmaker, a little bit like making a concept album. Sometimes it works and opens ideas and provokes thoughts. Other times it feels a bit pretentious and obvious. Did we ever get your views on Mother? Exclamation mark, Manuela. I do not think so, but I would love to give them. Go on, a Um, two-sentence review. (laughs) I think it's one of the worst movies I've seen no. in a long, long time. Really? And it's so insanely stupid. And it's amazing to see a filmmaker managing to make a movie where the main character is a woman about him. So, mm. yeah. That's really that's a really interesting it. point. <laughs> I think it's really brave in, its, in the way it embraces stupidity. And I, and I think it does make a point with that. I wish it were more fun with its stupidity. But it's not fun enough. There's quite a lot of fun in there, I thought. But uh, hey, interesting. Okay, so <laughs> you, you were a bit mixed, and I really liked it. Is that right, David? Yeah. If I mean, you're wondering it, whether to go and see I, Mother, I, I think we probably, as a threesome, represent mm. the entire spectrum of opinion on the right. film Mother That's because true. it gets across the board from love to hate. Paul Underwood wanted to pick up that uh, conversation we were having about the use of music or the non-use of music in movies and the. And a relative power of the two respective methods. Uh, he puts forward The Birds, you know, by Hitchcock, as a film completely devoid of a musical score, oh, sorry, score, whoops, uh, which manages to hold and create the tension so brilliantly. The silence is so much more powerful than any strings, etc., can provide. Nice shout, that, no? No, good one. Mm. And on our message board, John says, please revisit Blade Runner 2049 when you can explain your review better. I know you didn't want to talk about spoilers and stuff, but it feels like half a job. Well, you're in luck, John, because there's been loads of uh, Blade Runner 2049 comment, a lot of it relating to David Jenkins's controversial views. Uh, Kevin Kissane, or Kissani, hello, Kevin, says... Uh, one intriguing yet baffling piece of feedback I've, re- I've witnessed states that unlike 90-minute movies, this one at least offers value for money, which is, that's something, isn't it? Yeah, Westeros. I guess so. But I, Ian, Ian O'Rourdon says he was so enraged by your comments on Blade Runner 2049 last time out that he's, he's basically written a pretty excellent little essay. Let, let's go through some of his points. He says, I really like David, by the way which is this kind of version of with all due respect at the start. Yeah. yeah. But I think he's so off on this in many strands. Uh, I would agree that the script is better in the original film than 2049, but he points out he's actually been and read the original book, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, by Philip K. Dick. And he says, having actually read it, have you read it, David? 
No. Okay. Well, he says. Talk about it. He, wait, he says that 2049 actually recaptures the mood and tone of Philip K. Dick's book much better than the original film. This tells him that uh, Villeneuve took more inspiration from the novel than the prequel. He also takes exception to your dismissal of Villeneuve's female characters. Like I said, says Ian, I like David Jenkins, but I will fight any man any day who says there aren't enough strong female characters in this film. Have you had a chance to think of, again about that at all? You know, do you want to fight? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, it's, if if a fight is what is needed, then, you know, name, time and place. You are pretty absolute <laughs> in your views. Oh, yeah, no, I, I, I will not. Willfully I will so, not I budge, think. I will not budge a, 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 an inch on that. And, do you know, but sometimes... And, and I would say, mm-hmm. I would say, on, I, I did read his, all his comments. He's got actually, more points afterwards, actually. I, I, no, it was a really Gosling, nice he says, uh, Gosling went full drive in this film. My God, did it work. Ford was blessed with an amazing script... But he never truly embodied Rick Deckard's coldness in the way that Gosling does. He also says, before we come back to your point, Dave Bautista was great. I really want to see more of him. Any suggestions? Obviously, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2, which are brilliant. Eh, David? <laughs> did, 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 that, did, it pick, did it pick up that sigh? Um, OK, sorry. Back to what you were saying about oh, no, female characters. I, I, I have nothing more to say than I've already said. All, all uh, The one comment I will say about in response to that is I think there's an interesting discussion for another day about literary adaptations about mm. the connections to source material about the job of a filmmaker and a writer when it comes to actually transposing uh, words on a page to images on the screen mm. and how much license you should take and how much it should be your own thing and when i go and see a film i don't think it's necessary think it's the job of a film critic to have read a book as well because no no absolutely not reviewing a film that but the point specifically made to be consumed in a completely different way absolutely but i think ian it makes a fair point when he says that when you're talking about the original tone of uh, of the book that this is what villeneuve has, has, has managed to recapture better than perhaps uh, does it make for a good film that's what matters. Well, I yeah, thought it. I thought it did. Opinion, I thought it did. I wonder whether this is one of those films, and it happens to us all, that something about the movie gets you back up, and it makes everything about the film seem negative. Because while you do have some valid points, <laughs> I, I, you're a little bit kind of fundamentalist in your rejection of pretty much Whoa. everything about this film. No, I mean, I, 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 I stand by everything I said. All and, right, you know, I. I I, I don't. I didn't go into the film wanting to hate it, and I, you know, every film I go and see, yep. whether it's the Snowman exactly, or exactly. anything else, I'm just I'm looking for the good things. I'm That's, looking for the I'm looking for the positive stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. If we as critics were like, you know, if we wanted to hate every movie, where would we? No, I don't think he wanted job? to, but I think just you sometimes know? things catch you at the wrong time on the wrong day with the wrong person, whatever it I is. Was super excited to see it. You know, we, yeah. we, we were sat there beforehand we were sat there. and we were talking. Maybe about that was it the problem. We were, no, no. I, was... I uh, just <laughs> let me say, in the interest of balance, I liked it almost as much as you didn't. So, uh, there yeah, there you go. So, twenty forty nine. I will say also mm. that I'm I'm really I love the fact that people love this film. Good. I'm, you know, I'm I, I'm merely offering a kind of counter. It's not had a great thing. time at the box office, though, has it? So far, in the UK, it has. Mm. Yeah. In the US, I think it's it's underperformed. But you know what? It's that stupid thing of like you know, it's two days worth of box office. You know, it'll mm. probably come out in you know elsewhere and make mm. loads of money in China or, or or Middle East or something. And you know, all of a sudden it'll have been a big hit. And yeah. but because of that one day or two days, people have just like, oh no, it's a flop. Mm. It's not. It's not a flop. That's how they they rate movies now these days. You know, like there's no space for time. But at the same time, it's understandable because movies don't stay in theaters much longer. So mm. it's complicated. Okay.
Let's talk about some of this week's movies before they're gone. Hey, Manuela. Mm, yeah. All right, and first up for us, here's The Snowman. Here's a clip. Leila Olsen and Arvis Stoke were having an affair, and that's the last thing my father was investigating before he got killed. You broke into Vettlesen's house because you were afraid I'd find out this was personal and take you off the case. Vettlesen was his pimp. And they were both in Bergen when the murder started. I know how much you want this, but you can't force the pieces to fit. Do you actually think he killed them? I don't know. I don't think either of us do for sure. Maybe this will bring your balls back. Michael Fassbender plays Danish detective Harry Hull, a brilliant but broken man who's trying to track down a serial killer with a penchant for snowmen against a backdrop of political intrigue and loads of billowing snow. Also involved in uh, what's actually a really good week for all-star casts at the cinema are J.K. Simmons, Rebecca Ferguson, Chloe Sevigny and Charlotte Gainsbourg and a truly bizarre appearance from Val Kilmer who provides the answer at last to that question. What would... Tim Nice But Dim out of the Harry Enfield show looked like if he'd spent the last 20 years kind of in booze-addled Nordic sleuthing. <laughs> Is that fair? That's that's very fair, I oh, think, okay. and, and, uh, and very vivid. Right. The director, excitingly, is Thomas Alfredson, who did... Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, the, the recent remake, but before that, hit the headlines with Let the Right One In. This is lifted from a Joe Nesbo, or possibly Yo Nesbo, novel. Uh, and I met Thomas, actually, the director, last week, and he had this to say. It's fascinating to talk to you, and I've just seen The Snowman, and because I knew I was speaking to you, I was thinking about how it links up with your other films. And... The conditions in the snowman, which mm-hmm. are uh, visually very muted because of the, the snow mm-hmm. and the, the wind and the mist, and there's a, one tremendous shot, which I'm sure you must have been really happy with afterwards, when there's a frozen lake and there's kind of a mist trail, the way that the air is playing with the mist over the lake. It's an yeah. extraordinary yeah. shot. Yeah. 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 Was that something that came about by chance or something that you'd actually gone for? Both. You know, when this is shot in March and in a quite high elevated place on this uh, lake, frozen lake. You'd have those phenomenons early in the morning when the sun goes up. You get those weird mist things. It looks like uh, angels dancing over the ice. And that's something you'd see. But this particular one we had in the film was made midday, so it's, it's, uh, it's created there. But it looks like... It's a real one, yeah. But the, sorry, I got a bit sidetracked because the question I was going to ask was: in Sweden, where you're from, are the conditions extreme like that, or was that something that you particularly went to to seek out? Because for an English audience, it's it makes it a little bit otherworldly. There's a mutedness to sound. There's almost a, with the mist, with the the clouds of snow. There's almost a separation from reality. Was that something that you were particularly seeking, or is that just how things are there? That's how things are if you seek them up. We have similar uh, landscapes in Sweden, but Norway is blessed with, you know, it's so spectacular and it's extra everything on, on everything there. So it's like a dream for a filmmaker to to work in Norway because of the, the landscapes are so spectacular. Will your next production be somewhere sunnier? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, because I can imagine it was fairly challenging. It is quite hard to work in in low temperatures, you know, the, all the equipment and uh, 
you know, standing still for 10 hours in minus 15, it's quite demanding. Right. I have a ridiculous down overall thing, and it's bright yellow, so you look like a, a yellow sofa or something w- walking around. And the first day I came to the set with this... <laughs> Everyone was laughing at me, but at the end of the day, I was the one laughing. Right. Everyone was in yellow sofas the next day. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thomas Alfredson, who I have to say is a lovely man, whatever we might think about this movie. Manuela, do you like this kind of film, this kind of scando noir thing? I mean, as much as the next person, I don't know. I'm not not big on them. I don't really read those books either. Um, But I have to say... This did not uh, make me want to read them uh, <laughs> to get the story straight first. So Michael Fassbender is a detective and he's, you know, classic detective style. He's, you know, a drunk, divorced, sad. He doesn't speak much. He wears always the same coat. and um, <laughs> like, like sleeping on the street as well mm-hmm. in, in also, like sub-zero conditions. Yeah, because he's so drunk, he doesn't even feel it. Yeah. So it's fine. And um, one day he, start, he, he receives a letter a weird letter and there's a little snowman uh, drawn on it and mm. then basically some serial killing happens and exactly yeah the right. snowman C- here's on. a question can snowmen can snowmen whose appearance in this film is meant to har- be the harbinger of awful events can they ever be scary mm, no I mean like it's interesting what they do here because you, you know his the serial killers because every serial killer has a trademark right you know mm-hmm. every, every serial killer worth their salt and um you know, this guy is, is the snowman. Yeah, you so have like, the Zodiac Killer, and then you have the snowman. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, Zodiac Killer had the cool kind of hieroglyphics, and this guy has, you know, he'll build a little snowman mm-hmm. near the scene of the crime. And what they do is, you'll see this horrific scene, yeah. and then one Suspense. of the one of the characters will kind of look around, and out of the corner of their eye, they'll see this kind of little snowman yeah. just just innocently playing it's, in well actually it's, really its arms will be scary. outstretched in a slightly menacing fashion yeah. and, and, yeah. and there's a big kind of clash of you know hitchcockian strings on the soundtrack like mm. yeah. he this snowman's coming to get you he'll mm-hmm. he'll penetrate your nightmares or like a zoom in or mm. like a boom all of a sudden a snowman and i don't know i think it's a, maybe a case of like you know clowns are really scary right clowns it's easy to make clowns scary they can be but like Often, like it's easy to make a clown look scary. I think Apparently it's... not, judging by it. But but well, anyway, but that's, I think hey. this movie had other problems. Yeah. Um, but I don't think like to make a snowman scary, you have to try a bit harder than this. I mean, how would you make a snow? I mean, it's it's kind of the equivalent of leaving puppies behind if you were a serial killer, leaving pup or little rabbits or something. There's just no way. Rabbits I don't think. Would be really scary do you think that so would yeah. actually be, like, I mean because it's rabbits would actually be a bit more random I feel we're getting off track yeah. here okay so um, basically the <laughs> what snow- would you do if you were a serial killer what would you leave behind that's the question no I'm, I'm not sure I'm willing to enter yeah, that exactly. particular mindset Manuela <laughs> for legal know. reasons um, <laughs> it, it, it is a surprising film this uh, not least because it's kind of lacking in any of that edginess yeah exactly. that we had in let the right one in yeah exactly it's not it's not going far at all it's I was you know I'm scared easily at movies but I was not scared once mm. like I was after a while I understood that I would never see anything too scary uh, there's some beheadings and stuff but it's shown in such a you know Hollywood not wanting to be a disturbing way so it's really boring and um, but yeah but also what makes it not scary is that it's kind of hard to follow because the editing is so all over the place mm. um 
about, I think, like 20 or 30 minutes in, all of a sudden you have a flashback and he says nine years earlier and there's a new character and he's Val Kilmer and you have, you're supposed to yeah. get anything out of this. And then as it goes on, you understand that he was a, a detective himself and all that, but it's just all over the place. I have to say, and you guys might not agree with me with this, but like it's one of those, it's a who done it, mm-hmm. And if you can't guess who done it within about, like maybe the first time the person comes on screen. Mm. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't get. I didn't get. But I wasn't even asking the question, which is a worrying sign. <laughs> I was just going to say that this film. Do you know when you're watching a film and within about thirty seconds you realise no, this isn't going to happen. I know that's that's wrong. What happened was I'm sat there watching it. The opening sequence, the kind of the the pre-titles flashback that sets up the whole mm-hmm. emotional heart of, of the film. It just completely failed to convince me. And then when the titles ran and it had the cast, I went, oh yeah, I remember this has got an exceptional cast. I was really looking forward to seeing this. I'm sure it's going to be good despite that, but it really wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a couple of, I mean, one really technical issue is the audio on it, the, the, the dialogue's all been looped. It's all been redubbed oh, and really badly. It's so it's a little bit watching. It's a little like watching one of those. What do you call them? Euro puddings, pudding. Yeah, Euro yeah. pudding mm-hmm. productions when everyone's just come and dubbed the voiceover. It's that's not convincing. The casting is just bizarre. We mentioned Val Kilmer, but J.K. Simmons. How, how did that happen? And why? And and what? There are so many narrative strands that start and stop, and by the end of the movie, they don't they're not resolved and Mm. it doesn't feel like it was intentional it feels like in the editing room they were trying to do something with it and what's interesting also about the editing I don't want to like you know bang on about this but on screen in the credits it says editing by one person and then also Thelma Schoonmaker uh, Scorsese's longtime collaborator yeah Yeah, so she 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 edited Goodfellas let's just you know she's she's got form let's go put some perspective there and it really feels like she tried her best with what she had because that's why there's also so much overdubbing. Like the first time uh, Valkyrie is on screen, his lips don't match what he's saying at all. His lips don't match with his face as well, though. As Did well, you notice yeah. that? And, and there's lots of shots of him talking from behind as well. Mm. Yes. So and, yeah. and um, his his performance is. Tr- I think it could from be his a- behind or from no, <laughs> from the camera is behind. Oh yeah. But his, I think his performance could, does have kind of cult classic. Um, potential, actually. Oh yeah, I can't wait for this to come uh, out on DVD and what, go crazy. I, I was one of the things. I mean, I, I did, you know, it, it's it, it kind of fun, you know, it's it's functions as a very bland kind of whodunit potboiler, and it's you know, it just about delivers. I think on those terms. One of the, and I was trying to think, is there anything good in in this film? And and the one thing that I could I could settle on was there were lots of good fi- shots of cars. Driving over bridges, hmm. yeah, so it's, it's a nice really bridge. Well. It's quite, quite a sinuous bridge, yeah. though, isn't Although it? Although that yeah. the one thing I like that, but the one thing that I didn't like, even in those shots, was the weird CGI effect. Like it oh, looked very, that. yeah, like everything looked really smoothed out, and sometimes the camera movements was just way too smooth and mm. weird, and it really feels like they spent a lot of Manuel money is in right. CGI. It's true. I, I yeah. Did, I, yeah, I did it's find it, right. but there, but there was a, there was one at the end that had it was a kind of very weird angle to be shooting it at and the and the mm-hmm. bridge kind of curved you yeah, know yeah, the yeah, perspective yeah. looked really weird yeah i mean that that's looks like a beautiful sort of small simple pleasures mm. i yeah. guess um, the, the landscape but the, it, it is a film that involves lots of people driving to other places to find clues and mm. yeah um i thought i i also thought one of the funny things and i and i i i messaged you to remind me to t- say this oh yeah <laughs> Was yeah, I mean, I don't even know if we should mention the brand, but there was one of the most bizarre 
pieces of product placement <gasps> completely I, I, I've, I've, I've ever seen. I think. No for, for what? It was basically there's a there's a sequence where Fassbender's character travels out to go and meet a guy in a factory, and he and uh, he, he's sort of working on this factory floor, and he's he's wearing a, um, a kind of a big a big headphones. set of headphones that are you know very very popular amongst sort of <laughs> LA teenagers yeah and he's a kind of slightly older gent as well yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, it's and when he turns his head the light hits exactly on the logo and you're like this is so obvious and, it, it's, <laughs> and, it's, and it's so out of place it's it just seems very weird that yeah. they would have chosen that character to be wearing the headphones when there when there is a there is a young teen yeah, teenage yeah. son who actually wears headphones in other scenes exactly right. like, or like you know when they're on computers researching things or whatever yeah. like mm. any other character could have done this very odd I know that's maybe they were model zone simple pleasures they were what model zone you know oh <laughs> maybe they were I don't know anyway all right well really that, cool. that's the snowman then yeah. and what what uh, Emanuela you go first anticipation enjoyment oh. during thoughts post sure so anticipation I would say maybe well that's that's interesting because the posters we have to mention the posters why what happened the on the posters the posters were the most hilarious posters I've seen in a long time what? They looked like graffiti, but bad. And the words were so stupid. They sounded like Drake lyrics. Uh, I saw <laughs> That's tweets stupid. saying that. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was so funny. What did, what did the words say? So the poster said, Mr. Police, you could have saved her. I gave you all the clues. And it's drawn like the, the serial killer's notes. And there's a little snowman drawn. And then it says, the snowman. And it's... So funny, and I there's this tweet that that people shared around that said, "Not sure about this new Drake album." <laughs> it's so funny. So yeah, and also the trailer where it's kind of exactly like the movie where you have Michael Fassbender looking like scared or like worried, and then cut to a snowman. So that kind of built my anticipation, but not as in I was expecting something good. Right. So I'd say free. Okay. Out of five. Okay. Uh, enjoyment. I'd say three and a half because it's really? really funny. Oh, you uh, did enjoy it, but yeah, not in the way it, that it was intended. Not that it was good. No. Okay. And post? So I think it's worth seeing. But um, and post just two. I mean, okay. I think it might be. I want to ask classic. you though. Yeah. Interesting though, those numbers are. Do you have, as I do, a favorite movie tagline from I a do. poster? What is it? It's the Point Break. Uh, tagline. What is the Point Break one? It goes twenty-seven banks in three years. Anything to catch the perfect wave. So if you don't know what the movie is about, you do know. It makes no sense. Ah. But if you know, it still makes no very little sense because the movie makes no sense because it's insane. What so, are you talking about? Point break. It's That's such like, a girl thing to say, Manuela. It makes <laughs> no. total sense. I mean it's a it's a great, perfect film. I love it so much. Yeah. But it's one of the craziest scripts ever. Mm. That's why I love it, it so a bit. much. All right. Have you got a favourite movie tagline? David? I've got a bit of an obvious one. I've got to say um, the the, the tag. I like the tagline from John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh, which is "Man is the warmest place to hide." <sighs> oh, that's really good. That is that's good. A good one. Yeah, I don't know if it's my favourite, but one that has always stayed with me from the Sean Penn Christopher Walken dream team pairing back in the eighties uh, at close range. Christopher Walken is the the bad guy, the criminal who returns to the families left behind, and there's the kind of hero worshipping son who gets involved in one of his schemes. Anyway, and the, the, the play by Sean Penn, a young Sean Penn, mm-hmm. and the movie is like father, like son, like hell. 
Whoa. 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 Hey, speaking of fathers and sons, that's very much a theme did Noah Baumbach's heart, as he has proved once again with the release of his latest film, The Mayorowitz Stories, brackets new and selected, which is up next. Noah Bambach's latest film, a sprawling portmanteau, if you will, portrait of a New York family and their rather troubled relationship with their father, who's played by Dustin Hoffman, a sort of gnomic sculptor whose career has never quite received the... was never quite hit the heights that he felt that it should have. I mention Hoffman, but also involved in this film, Adam Sandler, Judd Hirsch, Ben Stiller, Adam Driver, Elizabeth Marvell, or Marvel, not sure which, and uh, who else? Emma Thompson. Because mm-hmm. which is great. Because watching this, I was thinking it's just one kind of Hogwarts casting choice away from being a classic kind of Hannah and her sisters Woody Allen production. And bingo, there's a, a Emma Thompson, and especially there's Hoffman and Sandler together at last on the big screen. That's what we were waiting for. Absolutely. All right. This is a film with a parenthesis in its title, which I'm never happy about. Oh, really? It always oh. sets my alarm bells ringing, and I, I don't know if my reaction to the film was coloured by that. Birdman, brackets, the unexpected virtue of ignorance. Was It, it just screams <laughs> self-indulgence to me. Say yeah, what yeah, the yeah. film is called, and the rest of it, your film should do. You don't need to put little kind of frippy bits at the end. Well, I think that, that those little bits at the end, the new and selected, do kind of signpost Noah Baumbach's, I guess, literary intentions a, a little bit. Mm. Um, I mean, all his films do seem to... I mean, there is actually... I, I, I can't remember which one it is, but there's the J.D. Salinger book that is called... I, th- it's, I think it's like Franny and Zoe, or one of the other ones that's got a similar kind of construction where it's mm-hmm. the title and then, and then the, the, the brackets in the end. And it does seem to be, like, you know, Salinger seems to be someone who he kind of digs quite quite heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, and loves books. And yeah, I mean, my take on the film is that it, it is very like, it's a writer's film more than a director's film. It's got like thick, sparkly dialogue that I just feel slightly in awe of it to the point where I don't necessarily think the film itself is like a masterpiece. Mm. But I, I think that I actually do think it's the sort of film that I maybe I, I'm watching it thinking, would I enjoy this as much if I was just reading the script? Because, you know, it's just to sort of, see all that incredible wordplay and all, all mm-hmm. the kind of jokes that are within jokes and the repetitions and the callbacks and it just seems like this kind of technical marvel um mm-hmm. and um which jokes were these the fact that he keeps repeating one line of his father's for example sophie monks kaufman who i esteem enormously in the little white lies review talks about relentless pace of the dialogue a daisy chain of comic vignettes uh, the tone never really varies, yet this is forgiven when hours after viewing you find yourself grinning, remembering standout hoots. Which she cites as an example, Maureen, where is the gourmet hummus? That was very funny. What's funny about that? That was really funny. I mean, it's... Yeah, you see the context. But, I mean, I mean like, yeah, it's... it's yeah. Uh, yeah, it's... It, the fact that it... I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it's a joke, but it's not... You know, it wouldn't necessarily be written as a joke. It's right. Like, it's, a, it's, a, it's a background detail. It's a colour thing. It's hmm. just, And it's so random. Which and, is fine. Yeah. But if that's what the movie's kind of enormous humour that a lot of the reviews talk about is resting on, then, then I... I'm perplexed. Yeah. It's like, it's like all of Bombax movies. It's more like it's not like a, a romp. It's not like a comedy. No, and I wasn't expecting it to be. Yeah, but it, yeah. but it's just people being themselves and being you know a bit weird and, and mm. that. Although I don't, I do think this is not his best. Like I don't, I don't think all the 
you know, the dialogue, I don't think it lands as often as I wish, I Which, wish it did. I, I mean, I would say that in his kind of later movies, like this, and he did a film a couple of years ago called While We're Young, okay. he's kind of moved more into sort of satirical. I mean, it's all about kind of the idea of families and right. and like pretension and, you know, artists and relationships. Yeah, things like it's that. maybe and, a bit less sentimental than it used to be. Yeah, no, I mean, if, if you know, we'll She's talk about Squid and Whale later. But yeah. Then, well, yeah, and but, it's fascinating because the, the inclusion of that 2005 film, mm-hmm. uh, so from 12 years ago, gives us a chance really to measure uh, just how far he's come as a director and uh, literally inches, mm-hmm. judging by this film. So I mean, you, it's almost so exactly the same film, but longer. Film. I didn't enjoy this film. There, I'm not saying there aren't things that I didn't like about this film. I mean, clearly watching a... It's, it's a well-made picture. There's some interesting editing choices. Uh, watching the likes of Hoffman and Ben Stiller, who I think is very good in this. Adam uh, Sandler. I think Adam Sandler is incredible in this. He's great. Uh, incredible am, in what way? I mean, incredible is a big word to use about a performance. What What was incredible about Adam Sandler I in this film? I think Adam Sandler can be amazing when he's used in good movies, which are not his movies. Amazing because you're not expecting him to be competent? No, 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 no. That would be, that would be mean. No, I think he's really... He has a real energy and a real... He's really good at playing kind of really perplexed and like uh, really anxious guys. Okay. He's really, really convincing and really touching at the same time. Or at the same time, you kind of want to punch him, but he's really great. That, that This and uh, Punch Drunk Love, uh-huh. I think the, you know, I think it's happening. I, I, like, I agree. Thing. I think that Sandler is a real, like, one of the things I love about him, and even even in like quite a few of his kind of quote unquote I've bad never movies, managed, I've never managed to watch one of his films. Okay. I tried watching Fifty First Dates. I had to. No, stop. that's that's the worst one. People told me it was the best one. Watch, watch Big Daddy or um, okay. um, Billy Madison is a, is a classic. Anyway, but maybe he. I think he's such an effortless performer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, it's, it feels very natural for him, and like. I think the thing I liked about this movie is I never once got a, 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 and I mean you know you might be able to turn this on, on this comment on its head but like it never feels like he's trying he's just he's kind of slinked into this role and mm-hmm. he's just doing it and yeah. and you almost don't feel like he's acting yeah um, I think he was pretty great in this film okay he's so great. shock me yeah. further by telling me that you agree with all the reviews raving about Emma Thompson's performance which is kind of sub Professor Trelawney out of Hogwarts a kind of dizzy uh, humorous alcoholic kind of I was less enamored by that to yeah, be honest same. that was that that was the difference in that where i think sandler felt like very naturalistic uh-huh. um emma thompson felt very contrived like mm. a character a type you know she's the drunk you know we we need a kind of comic relief um yeah i agree i think maybe if there had been more of her in it we would have gotten more of a sense of her character and it would have made more sense well how about but having a bit the, more of Jean, the, the the daughter of the family who's oh, right. mysteriously almost written out of this film like that's that's interesting because she does have one really great monologue yeah but mm. it's it and, and and i think it's probably the highlight of the entire film but for me she seems like almost worthy of her own movie right. mm. um, see I would it, much rather hear more from her than Adam Sandler who I thought was serviceable but there was one scene in particular where he's he and Ben Stiller are having a moment on the lawn outside their father's mm-hmm. show in which I'm thinking you had an amazing cast why on earth would you give this part to Adam Sandler because I, I didn't think he took it anywhere <laughs> my whole my whole experience of this film was there are some nice moments I love the song that Sandler does with his daughter in the early part of the film but I think I may have an issue with Noah Baumbach and this whole exploration, this slightly entitled offspring's complaint that the father didn't 
Love Them Enough, which he explores in Squid and the Whale, and we'll come on to that later on. And he's added again here, and I don't know if this is too big a leap, but I know that Squid and the Whale was meant to be deeply autobiographical. Baumbach's parents were film critics, and it just seems interesting that he's using the medium of film as almost like a, a way of communicating with them, with them enough that they just didn't give him enough attention. This is a long film. It's almost as, half as long again as Squid and the Whale, and I don't really see these characters developing in any particular way, which is fine. You can say they start there and they end in more or less the same place, but then you don't need to spend two hours doing it. Be a little bit more selective in which bits of new and select you, you actually <laughs> choose to put on the screen. I, I will concur with you there. I did think that it wore on a little, and like yeah. I, I, I almost felt like it kind of lacked a sort of a sense of levity i think yeah and then it it, it lacked that uh, sort of um energy that that is so specific to the screen and the whale that makes mm. it so amazing and then makes it you know an hour and 25 minutes long as well it's a shame that he didn't yeah it feels like the editing could have made it a lot better somehow you yeah, know more tight I, I think it's one of those things where you could pr- you could probably cut a, a, just a yeah. little chunk of every scene exactly like just like i mean, and i mean it's it's you know but at the same time it's his like it's his desire to get all the jokes in he's you know he's got yeah, so much material and I'm, so much i'm stuff. mystified yeah you get you get a you get a which, but which jokes? jokes? So the father makes a joke about I you should see the other dog. The, the but I mean, right word. I think that well, um, yeah, the humor. It's, it's humor rather than jokes. I mean, it's it's you know the, the hummus line is. I think I think we'll be quoting that to our kids in twenty years. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, yeah. I saw this actually on Netflix because it is a net, net. It's not a Netflix production, but it's a film that's been acquired by Netflix, and there was some controversy about this at Cannes, where you saw it actually on the big screen. Yeah. Yeah, so, on the big screen. I don't know. I, I think it was good to see on the big screen. Um, at the same time, I would say that it's probably all right to watch on a small screen because it is a collective, like a, co- a collection of stories and all that, and it's not. Yeah, but um, I don't know. I will always prefer the big screen. What mm. do you think, David? Well, I mean, I wonder if the differing reactions might because I saw it in a cinema as well. Right. So, mm-hmm. and with it, a crowd, and is there different. were. I mean, you know, there were people like. Although I didn't really get much from the Emma Thompson character, there were people in the audience who were losing it over. You know, they they mm. were at, like, you know, hitting the the chair in front <laughs> in, with, with 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 hilarity. You're joking? No, no, they were. It was really like, you know, not yeah. quite crying with laughter, See, but maybe I a few the... increments off that. But you saw it on your own in the dark under the under the stairs in the cupboard bottle of scotch <laughs> yeah and I, you know. so i'm looking at her and i'm thinking this is a fairly thinly sketched a very two-dimensional essay on the kind of slightly humorously drunk yeah parent. i do agree the father as well is and this is something we'll come back to on the squid in the world is, is, is a little bit of a caricature i mean fleshed out wonderfully by by dustin hoffman yeah and i did equally you know adam sandler I felt that the writing was a little bit patchy on his character because he starts out being one thing and then the scene in the hospital, he becomes this... He becomes a a very kind of daffy version of the earlier character and then he kind of returns at the end. I'm not sure what what I meant to take from that about who he he really is. But I I think there are are some nice little touches. I mean, this idea... There are. Definitely. Like, Mm. one of his traits is he has this kind of gammy leg... And he sort of limps mm. everywhere. See, that got old for me quite and, quickly. And I, I, I just really like this. You know, it's, it feels like a very simple yet effective thing to do, to have this guy who is like in physical pain but mm. won't just chooses not to deal with it. Mm. And 
it says a lot, you know, it may, may be a little bit obvious, but it feels like, it, you know, it's one of a, a number of small little things like that that kind of build up his character rather than he him has just a, saying stuff. Right, mm-hmm. but he has a stock line. When people ask him about his link, he repeats a line. And the first two or three times... I felt that was effective. But I think he does it about six or seven times in the course of the film, much as Matthew, played by Ben Stiller, repeats his father's joke, air quotes, about you should see the other dog, which is fine, but... Okay, I'm sorry. I'm obviously the exception here, and looking at the reviews, they've been massively positive. I personally didn't get on board with this film. Mm. Yeah, I would say anticipation for me... uh, Yeah, three, whatever... Um, slightly befuddled kind of three petering out to a two while watching it and then probably a a two after but you know what what do I know Manuela what what numbers Um, yeah anticipation free because I didn't really like I don't really like uh, late bombback so yeah Uh, enjoyment free and introspect free I think it's it's a very medium film for me but I do value a lot of the performances okay yeah, I mean, I, I probably go for the same. I mean, it's like I did like it. I don't think it's like vintage Baumbach. I mean, mm. it feels a little bit like he's kind of, you know, whipping the dead horse a bit. Um, and you know, I would hope that the next time out that we, you know, he chooses to do something very different. Mm. I mean, I think we've, I think that kind of New York, Brooklyn, middle class, artsy family thing, he, you know, is done now. Oh, I think. I, I really doubt he will ever get no, away from no, that. No, he won't. I mean, I say that. <laughs> and but... I think it's okay. I think there's a, there's a lot to say. And even if he told the same story again, but better, like it's, you know, all these stories have been told, you know, about dads being insufficiently present or whatever. I think it's all about the way you say it, you tell it. And uh, he's told it really well in the past with the screen in the well. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, widely held as uh, Bambach's masterpiece, The Squid in the Well is this week's film club. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. What do you think I should do about Sophie? You'll make the right decision. I regret sometimes I wasn't more of a free agent when I was younger. There was a woman who approached me at a party at George Plimpton's after my first book. She was very sexy. I could have gone home with her. Why didn't you? I was with your mother. Oh, right, of course. Well, you should have probably done it. It didn't stop her. Yep, Squid and the Whale. Uh, it's a New York family, 
and a film that looks at the impact particularly on the two sons when the parents, uh, one successful writer and university professor played by Jeff Daniels and his wife, an up-and-coming writer uh, played by Laura Linney, decide to separate. What did listeners make of this, uh, uh, Manuela? So Pete Cox said, Love this and Margot at the wedding. Between them, they put me right off the man. However, Francesca totally won me back and Mistress America rewards repeat viewings. So maybe I'm coming around to him or maybe the world just needs as much Greta Gerwig as possible. Quite possibly so. Mm. Adriano Mirshu says, probably the best movie ever made about divorce and the impact it has on family. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. Should I read some of the Twitter? Mm. Yeah. Still on my top 10. Uh, I think it is the pace and the absurd of the whole entire story that keeps it fresh within my loving memory bag and that's metronome mm. kevin kissane daniels and linney symbolize everything wrong about parenting a fascinating insight into divorce and its effects and cuphead i hate every character in it and i adore this film right yep darren richmond says no film has ever established what it's going to be about as succinctly as this one does with its opening line mom and me versus you and dad uh, Matt Pringle, the dad is up there with Hal 9000, the child catcher and Nurse Ratchet as far as screen baddies go. All right, then. Uh, not sure if he means that in a good way or not. Would you like to add anything on to that then, David? I would just say that, yeah, I mean, it's interesting talking about this straight on the back of the Meriwitz stories, which mm. is, you know, I would say if I had any issues with that, it's quite long and lumbering. This film is like sharp and snappy and quick and, mm. you know, fiery and... Uh, you know, you have these really, like between the sort of dialogue scenes, you have these really kind of loose uh, montages that link the, the sequences together. Like there's this amazing bit in the middle where you see just a bunch of New York subway line um, names and uh, which, you know, very sort of amazing shorthand for like traveling across the city. Um, yeah, I, I hadn't seen this one since I saw it in the cinema when it came out. So it was, it was, uh, so I was, you know, slightly nerve wracking experience to sort of go back there after 10 years. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, do, I had fond memories of it and, um, you know, having seen so much other of his films and actually I do find that like the second viewing of his films really helps. I mean, really? Francis Ha, the first time I saw it didn't do that much for me. And the second time I think it's a masterpiece. Um, yeah, sim- similar with this. I'm just, you know, it's amazing. It's like, um, there's just so much to it. It's 80, 85 minutes. Uh, 81, yeah. I think, yeah. And it just feels like every single shot, every single scene, every line of dialogue, every nuance, every character, every moment has something there to, mm. to sort of look at and listen to and feel. And, you know, w- w- one of the things that I just found myself hooting at, and, and it's, and again, it's one of these callback things is, the patriarch played by uh, Jeff Daniels, Bernard. Um, the way he talks, and the oh, terms he uses, his pretentious yeah. turns of phrase are just a joy. Mm. And he, he refers to things as the filet of. Yeah. As in like, instead of saying the best, it's the filet <laughs> of. And it's, Does he say, have you read Kafka? He's one of my predecessors. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's amazing in this. And I, I totally agree with David. I think it's uh, the key word for this movie is relentless. It never stops. And you don't want it to stop. And when it does stop, it stops so beautifully that it's totally fine that it stops. But it's, yeah, it has so much energy and so much, um, like, emotion, but not in a simplistic way. Like, it has very complex emotions. It's a lot of people, you know, thinking one way, going back to thinking a different way and being really sad and mad about it and then dealing with it. And then a lot of very intense emotions in such a short time it's quite an experience Mm. 
Yeah. And one of the things I think that's great about Baumbach, and I think it's something that he's returned to many times, including in Meravitz stories, but may, in, mainly in Greenberg, I think, mm-hmm. is this idea of like, he sort of sets himself a challenge is how can we empathize with these awful people? Exactly. What can we do? You know, how, how can we make these people who you just want to wring their necks, but actually you think, you know, I, I see, I maybe see their point. I see do you empathize is- with Bernard in this film? I think I he's do. beyond the reach of empathy, isn't he? I'm not sure he is really. I think there's a sort of deep humanity there, and that there, are, there he he shows some really vulnerable bits to mm. him as well. Like Wait, Eisenberg? No, no, um, the father. Um, oh, Bernard um, Jeff Daniel. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, there is there is a kind of the most tragic line is remember that time I made burgers. Oh yeah, and, oh. and, and, and it's the it's the most tragic oh. tragic thing because he thinks that he's he's done so well but he's actually in this kind of cocoon and mm-hmm. and and and, no it, and, it, and you don't hate him for it and no. she starts laughing and it's like you know you you are, you kind yeah. of get it and he is you know he's he's realizing at that point no i, okay. I wasn't a good but this is interesting and i wasn't sure whether to say this or not but this this brings me on to my can i call it an issue with this film you say that he improves on second viewing i really enjoyed this film when i saw it back in 2005. This time around, I was—I still think it's a good film, and I think, as you say, it's tremendously tight, well-paced, and does really interesting things in terms of storyline and what it's exploring. But I was surprised at how, again, two-dimensional I think some of the characterization is, particularly Bernard the father. Uh, the line where he posits that he's, he's been cleaning up and cooking... Uh, trying to save the marriage, and she points out that it was just once when she had pneumonia and she had to ask him to do it, and he did the burgers. It's a little bit sledgehammer heavy, that. There's not much nuance to that. He is delusional in his his idea, his egotistical mm. idea of who he is. But, but he's such a relentlessly terrible father, the competitive ping-pong, the swearing, this parking business, which Baumbach goes back to in the Merowitz uh, stories as a kind of vehicle for exploring uh, people's inability to to... Uh, I don't know, stay afloat among the pressures of life or, or whatever it is he's looking to do there. I was surprised at how cartoonish mm. the father is in this film but, because it is, a, I mean, it's a film exploring the, the impact of divorce emotionally. And again, with the younger, is it Walt the younger of the two boys? Frank. It's Frank, okay. With Frank's Frank. uh, way of kind of acting this out, you know, involving smearing his bodily fluids around the school, it seemed to me, again, that it's a little bit, you know, rather than going for any kind of insight into his emotions he Baumbach's actually just gone oh look here's something that's going to shock you and make you think whoa we've been exposed to some emotion there but actually exploring letting letting us into what leads him but to do something I like think, that we don't get that the I father think the nuance, I think the nuance and the depth is all in the in the performance. performances not just the performance but also just the the, the things they say like mm. the, the fact that he says something like Kafka was one of my predecessors and yeah. the fact that he says those things that you know the competitive ping pong but it's the attitude he has towards what he's doing that is so revealing. He's so in denial. But it's not revealing. It's, but it's, 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 it is because it's, he thinks he's doing this for the right for the good of his children. Well, I would say he's revealing so would be something if if there was a little hints within the way that he acts. He doesn't seem a believable character to me. It seems like I'm going to write a divorce story here, which is going to have an absolutely terrible father, a deeply sympathetic mother. I think yeah. not. I think he's so... He's the without... Thing, the re- way, the way revealing would be if he was actually a decent man, but you begin to see through no, that between... that's boring. The, that's not real. In real life, people are, you know... There's they, no one in real life are, like this man. They are. Yeah, they are so... I'm oh my like God, him. you don't know my dad. There are people... <laughs> he's not as bad. No, he's much better. It was his birthday yesterday, he's fine. Um, but there, there are people, you know, he's just so... 
in his world and he sees the world in one way and he's so yeah. sure of himself. But we are on the outside. We see either from his wife's perspective or mm -hmm. his kids or just, you know, Bombach's perspective. And we see him doing these things like repeatedly being awful in a way that's so uh, self-righteous and it's so... It's grotesque. Like, yeah, it is grotesque. Yeah. But uh, he's a guy who lives in Park Slope, for Christ's sake. Like, he's the thing to so remember, sure. And he's a writer. The and thing he's to also author. remember, though, is like, you know, it is a movie and yeah. you know there there has to be an element of like you know yeah. you can make whatever movie yeah. you want yeah. Yeah. I just don't looking back I was surprised that how much it didn't live up to my recollection of it as a well-observed study of the emotional impact of a divorce. Mm. What I instead saw, to put it in the simplest of terms possible, was a cartoonish representation of a a father who's too obsessed with his own failed career to take any notice of those around him, a mother who was quite a long-suffering kind of rock of the family, and two kids who act out in, in the most kind of obvious of ways, but without any real insight into their emotions uh, about it. Should we start booing? Yeah. Boo. Boo. Well, no, tell me where I'm wrong. <laughs> I think the cartoon... What do you learn about Frank, apart from the fact that he smears his semen on, on library books? He's, he's, I but don't know how old he is, but I think what, what makes... Cartoonish, I think, is a good word for this movie, because yeah. it is. But that's because the, the editing, the, the camera is constantly handheld, and, you know, it goes crazy. Like, it, from the start, you, you go crazy following this insane camera who goes... In really fast but that's because it is cartoonish it's, it feels like a you know a selective hmm. selected moments of life and that's why it shows uh, those crazy moments when the dad is going insane and sometimes sometimes just sometimes you will see a tiny shot of oh, vulnerability oh here he's being vulnerable oh here J.C. Eisenberg is like thinking twice about his dad and being like maybe my dad is actually the worst so you saw God's Own Country recently yeah? yes I did okay that for me is a film which deserves the, uh, the, the the acclaim in terms of the writing the characterization that was in that script because at no point or maybe early on the the son of the family is slightly I caricatured in his attitude into, into dodgy territory comparing movies no, They're the point I'm different. trying to make is that you can make whatever kind of movie you like, but I don't think this is as well observed as its reputation suggests. I think that it's a little bit... Actually, I think it's quite a lot two-dimensional in, in its treatment. And I think that he gets quite a long way out of the fact that technically he can mount a film quite well and there's that whole kind of New York milieu which he's inheriting, which I think... And the, the kind of intellectual nature of the uh, of the dialogue maybe makes people assume a little bit more of insight than there actually is in there. Mm. I, I, I think that he's, you know, I think that what what he's doing in this film is, I don't think he ever feels the need, and rightly so, to explain anything. I mean, like the, what 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 um, Frank does, why he does it. Mm. It's it's you know it's the reasons for it and why. But he it's does easy it to do that as a writer rather than give oh, you something no. a little bit. No, the it is. Shouldn't tell you anything. No, I'm not saying he should tell us anything. Tell, you know, yeah. like, but what he's showing again, he's using sledgehammer. It's all very heavy-handed. The father, how do we know that he's an egotist? Because he smashes his nine-year-old son at ping-pong, because he constantly ref references his, his own work, and he talks about Kafka as his but predecessor. But it's in such there's, a you know, backhand way. There's no subtlety there at all. There's no yes. realism there. Equally, the son, how do we know that the son is affected by the divorce? Because he smears his semen around the, the, no. the school's... I mean, not just. And how well, do we know that not Walt? Just. How do we know that Walt is affected by divorce? Because he starts quoting his dad and being like, "Oh yeah." No, but he was doing that before. Like he he starts behaving exactly like his dad, and then he starts. But he was doing that before. Yeah, but but he he does he doubles down on that. For me, he it's four tropes. 
Oh, no. Four tropes. No, And it's no, an efficiently no. made film, and it's an interesting story, and they're, they are so well played by the cast. I think Jeff mm. Daniels is brilliant. Oh, he's Making so this... I think the reason that you like and you think this character's believable is Jeff Daniels. It's nothing to do with Bambach's script. I don't think that's fair. Wow. And I also think what makes it difficult... I'm looking forward to the reader comments on this one. Yeah, please, yeah, yeah. please get in touch. And also... The people who got in touch with me about... About Blade Runner. <laughs> Go crazy now. now. Divert your attention yeah. to, to this uh, yeah. abomination. Yeah. <laughs> I think what makes this film also just one more thing difficult, maybe to see as subtle, is that it's a movie mostly about denial. It's about Jeff Daniels being in denial about who he is. It's about Laura Linney being in denial for years about how sad she was in this marriage. It's about uh, uh, Eisenberg's character being in denial about his dad being awful. And it's about Frank being in denial about how he's not a man who can drink beer and like you know spread his semen around so yeah that's why it's like cartoonish characters because it's people who like bang against the wall they keep going against that wall they, okay i would just i would just they suggest that you ca- building cartoon versions of themselves yeah maybe. because they're like that's what i'm supposed to do right i'm like the writer i'm like the f- father in this family i'm supposed to be this arrogant guy because i am great because i am a great writer i wrote those books like years ago and the one comes to my conferences but yeah i'm i'm a big shot mm. so yeah and Laura Lini is kind of the only one who's kind of realizing what's happening. That's why she's getting a divorce. And that's why she's, you know, doing things. Although, yeah, at the same time, she's also having affairs with weird guys. But, yeah, I think that's why people are cartoonish. And I've, that's why it's great. All right, then. <laughs> and breathe. And scene. <laughs> So um, that was our. I think that was our most heated film club. Yeah, that was that was yeah. exciting. Well, you don't just hate on the squid and the whale. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't say I hated on it. I just think that it's it's wildly um, overrated. Well, no, like not that? overrated, but I think the praise for Baumbach's script is misplaced, and I think it, he mm. owes an enormous debt to yeah. the cast, which he's done well to assemble. I saw in the notes just to say that it was supposed to be Bill Murray as the dad. Well, it's that interesting. So you know, different. a couple of a couple of notes about this. So uh, where is it? Um, here. Oh yeah, uh, a couple of yeah. Bill Murray was meant to be in the main role, uh, which would have made this a very interesting take. Wes Anderson actually uh, was Noah Bambach's. Uh, choice to direct but Anderson himself can convince uh, Baumbach to helm it because the film was so very personal to him mm. uh-huh. uh, which kind of harks back to what I was saying before about people uh, talking about their fathers who were mm-hmm. writers or artists and didn't pay them enough attention and who might maybe just happen to be film critics anyway uh, next week on Film Club not sure what we've got in store. What have we got in store? So next week in store, we have got... A f- because So the films we're going to be l- reviewing next week include uh, Armando Iannucci's um, the, uh, the Death of Stalin, mm. which is his follow-up to In the Loop, uh, which is uh, a, a kind of political satire. And then we've also got a film called... I Am, a, Br- a new British film called I Am Not a Witch. And for Film Club, we're actually going to be looking at a film called Bullworth. Ah, do you, do you are you are you familiar with said film? Uh, I'm not sure that I am. It's Warren Beatty's ah yes penultimate like the the film he did in I think it was like '98, and it's about a uh, a, a Republican senator who starts telling the truth, hmm. and it's quite a nice little dovetail with the death of Stalin. Why do you think there are no more black leaders? Some people think it's because they all got killed. 
But I think it has more to do with the decimation of the manufacturing base in the urban centers. Senator, an optimistic, energized population throws up optimistic, energized leaders. So when you shift manufacturing to the Sun Belt of the Third World, you destroy the blue-collar core of the black activist population. Some people would say the problem is purely cultural. The power of the media that's continually controlled by fewer and fewer people. Add to that monopoly of the media, a consumer culture that's based on self-gratification. Now, you're not likely to have a population that wants leadership that calls for self-sacrifice. Excellent. Is that widely available? Yeah, I think it's on, uh, you can get it through Google and I think it's on Netflix as well. So right. It's, okay. it's out there. All right. Um, Sean Hanrahan uh, says that he doesn't feel we gave enough respect and attention to the passing of Jonathan Demme. Um, who I think is wildly overrated. As a, I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. Back off. No, I, I really love his films. Uh, he points out that his eclecticism would make Soderbergh's head spin uh, as his career encompassed horror, screwball, thriller, social commentary, family drama, documentarian, non pareil, uh, and other words that I'm going to mispronounce, so I'm going to leave those. Uh, I would love to hear your opinion, says Sean, of something wild. Uh, maybe mm. something we could do in future film clubs. Uh, harking back to past film clubs here's Sam Weatherall just to finish off by saying re a scanner darkly I love this movie when I was 19 but I don't think it's aged well at all it's interesting watching it in, com- in companion with Requiem for a Dream they're both movies about drugs which manage to avoid addressing the issues of poverty or deprivation that usually accomplish usually accompany I think you mean uh, drug abuse I th- really I thought there was plenty of that in I thought so. They, Requiem they, for a dream. They, they, yeah, and, and Squalor. Darkly, they live in a, in a doss house. Oh, that's true as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Something Wild is really something. Yes. By the way, you really guys should. Yeah. Uh, Melanie Griffiths, Ray Liotta's and Jeff Daniels' best work, yes. says Sean Hanrahan. I don't know if Jeff Daniels' best work is The Sweet and the Whale or Something Wild. So mm. that's that's how good it is. Nice. All right. We did talk about Jonathan Demi's passing. We did. Yeah. But, but obviously not, not enough. Much depth Could we ever talk enough? Didn't we, talk, didn't we do one of his films as a film club? I think maybe we were going to. No. Okay. I don't know. Adam's put the whole list up on the comments section of the podcast I'm also podcast a big fan page. of, uh, his, of, of uh, the film Married to the Mob. Yes. Oh, Michelle really Pfeiffer. Michelle and, Pfeiffer. And, yeah, good, good song. Excellent. Um, I tried watching Ricky and the Flash, though. I couldn't no. get through. It's so oh, bad. Dear. Rachel getting married. Late Jonathan Demme. I really like that. Love. Great uh, loading a dishwasher scene. Oh, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. One, of, one of the... Maybe the, the greatest in cinema... Possibly so. Yeah. Loading the dishwasher So far, yeah. yeah. We need a list of that. Yeah. Listicle time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that is, uh, in the meantime, it. So many thanks for being here, David, virus notwithstanding. And also you, Manuela. No worries. Thanks With your misguided me. attitudes and your lovely accent. <laughs> um, if you'd like to get in touch, just a quick reminder that the email address is truthandmovies at tcolondon.com, Twitter at LWLies, and why don't you just go to the Little White Lies website and go to the podcast page and leave a comment there. We will be seeing you again next week, I hope. In the meantime, this has been a 7 Digital production. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. 
Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.